Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Brent S., Luke A., and Paul M. New guest on the program today, Mr. Adrian O'Brien has joined us. Adrian is the Director of Marketing and Communications at Midnight Sun Mining, a Zambian-focused copper exploration company that has a number of exploration areas covering about 500 square kilometers including its primary Dumwa copper target nearby existing copper mines such as First Quantum's Kaneshi, Sentinel, and Barracks Lumwana. Midnight Sun Mining is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol MMA, as well as on the US OTC markets under the symbol MDNGF. Adrian, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Absolute pleasure to be here, Andrew. I really, uh, really appreciate you having us on. Absolutely, Adrian. It's good to bring this one out and, and get an introduction on Midnight Sun. Why don't we just kick it off here with uh, you giving us a brief background and experience in the natural resource sector? So my my background is kind of interesting. I, I came into this as a, I guess I basically grew up in the industry. I had a, a part-time job in high school working for uh, for a junior mining company and basically was was exposed to this stuff at a very young age you know like a lot of people i ended up getting a chance to go into the field when i was still in high school when i was really young and grew up around geologists i grew up around the business and and it you know this business gets into your blood it it's addictive it's exciting and uh and i stayed with it i i came out of high school ended up taking a number of different jobs with juniors and and sort of different roles, different things, obviously on the, the more investor relations kind of side of things. Um, but it was a really incredible experience in terms of being surrounded by really great people, being surrounded by great geologists and having a chance to pick their brain. And I, and I always had a, a really keen interest and a love for the rocks and for geology in general. Um, it was a bit of a hobby of mine growing up. And so, you know, it was this really incredible experience of getting to spend time around these people and um, we you know very first company i ever worked for was uh, working on a very large project in the arctic and i uh, had a chance to travel up there uh, it was a nickel copper pgm play and, and i got to spend time with some incredible geologists that were parts of, of big projects worldwide and uh and you know i just basically stayed with the business all the way through and uh, after schooling and and everything else was done. I I dove straight into this uh, this business and learned from the ground up. And you know, I think from a geological perspective, you learn by osmosis. So I over time really gained a, a fairly decent understanding of geology of different types and uh, had a real appreciation for projects and what it takes to get these projects off the ground. From you know the absolute most grassroots level all the way up to production level projects over the course of my career. Um, so, you know, I, I came into it that way and basically stayed, stayed in the business all the way through, ended up learning how to build and finance projects, um, eventually building my own companies, running my own companies, um, became the CEO of three different juniors and uh, eventually a director of the PDAC up here in Canada. So it was a, a pretty incredible experience and, uh, you know, a bit of a long and winding road to, to end up here. So 27 years later, I'm, uh, I'm working with Midnight Sun and 
been an incredible experience, Andrew. Adrian, so tell us just a little bit how you ended up there at Midnight Sun. What was compelling sure. about it? You know, when you looked at it, what made you say, you know what, I'm going to come over and support this group? Absolutely. Well, I, you know, the last six years or so, I was with Oxygen Capital. Uh, I've been working with Marco Day, worked on pure gold mining. Um, pure gold was, uh, was a really great experience in terms of, uh, you know, the run up to production, uh, developing that project and, uh, you know, some incredible experience to, to lend to new projects going forward. And, and, you know, from a, from a marketing perspective, my specialty is really on the marketing side, um, through my experience, uh, at all levels with juniors and, uh, and sort of development level projects. The one thing that I really keyed in on was marketing. And when I look at our business, and this is, you know, from the perspective of somebody that's been doing this a long time and, and has been around, you know, the executive level, C-suite level with various companies, um, you know, people market similarly from company to company. And there seems to be a real lack of creativity on the marketing side. And I had seen that over and over and over and over. And uh, other businesses I've been involved in, in particular, uh, it's something that I did outside of the mining sector. I was running a, a guitar manufacturing company for about seven years. And, um, you know, it, it dawned on me that, that really there was a lot of applicable marketing that could be done in the junior space that was far outside the realm of what people typically do. That's more, more consistent with real branding, real marketing, real tangible marketing, as opposed to sort of this, um, you know, this, this one-on-one -on -one meeting type thing that people do in the mining sector that, that works. It's a part of the recipe, but it's not all of the recipe. Um, and I was really keen and really interested in that whole concept and, and taking some of those experiences that I had in other sectors and applying them in mining. And, uh, and it was Marco Day that really said, look, you know, I think we could think we could do something really cool with this, um, with pure gold. So we did, um, and it worked really well. I mean, the company went from a 38 cent share price to $3 share price in 11 months, um, really successful peak valuation of 1.3 billion or 1.2 billion. And following that, I really wanted to spend time thinking about what I wanted to do next, looking at opportunities and looking at projects and what, what I felt would be good opportunities for the same kind of recipe in terms of marketing, the same kind of approach. But the key to that is that the projects you're going to work on in that scenario have to be a, have to be tangible. Um, I don't want to work on anything that is hype oriented. That's just purely a, you know, a shot in the dark. I want projects that have a really tangible opportunity to develop something that could end up as a, as an operating mine. Um, something that has some level of data that is advanced to the point where at least you have a really, really good shot. And, uh, and it's all about the team at the end of the day. Um, you know, I've been around the business long enough. I, I kind of know a lot of people. I've met a lot of different individuals over the course of my career. And I think people are the most incredible and valuable asset these companies can have. It really comes down to the team. And I've been really lucky throughout my career to work with some phenomenal individuals. Um, you know, the team at, at Oxygen, Marco Day, Darren LeBrenz, um, amazing, amazing people to work with, inspiring, fantastic geologists. And, uh, and as I looked forward, I wanted the same thing for this next project. And so after looking through a, a number of different projects, um, considering a number of different opportunities, I, uh, I've known the CEO of Midnight Sun, El Fabro for 20 years, maybe, maybe even longer, long, long time. And, uh, and I was sort of reintroduced 
to the story of Midnight Sun by a really good friend of mine, a broker at uh, Canaccord in Vancouver named Greg Goner. And uh, Greg said, look, you know, I think Midnight Sun might be exactly what you're looking for. Um, so we arranged a meeting with Al. I went down and spent some time with him and he, he introduced me to the project and sort of said, look, you know, this is, this is what we're doing. This is what we've been doing for the last decade. Go home, take a look, spend some time with it and let me know what you think. And, uh, you know, when you're in the position I'm in with these companies, um, and you're working more on the marketing communication side, but you're looking at what the potential is, what the narrative is, what you're dealing with. Um, you know, there's sort of a, a, a recipe or, or a, a list of things that you just wish you could find in a project. And when I went home and looked at Midnight Sun's project, I was absolutely blown away, Andrew. I mean, it really had all the makings, all the elements of what you're looking for, uh, from location to element. I mean, it's a copper, copper cobalt, a um, little bit of nickel, a little bit of gold, but predominantly a copper cobalt project, the right area great jurisdiction, it has size, it has scalability, it has grade. And, you know, I always look to areas where there is activity from majors, from producers. And of course, this area has that in spades. And so I looked at this project and, and within 24 hours, I knew this was what I wanted to work on next. And uh, so I, I spoke to Al and we decided to join forces and, uh, and get this thing moving. And, and you know, they done an incredible job to this point. There's, they're a decade in, uh, a little over a decade actually, and, and they've done an incredible job of moving this forward and, and putting all the pieces in place for something really interesting to happen. And, you know, I, I hate to use the term unicorn, but certainly this project is, is one of those situations. Um, you know, it's undervalued. It's, uh, it hasn't had the exposure it deserves. And that's what I'm hoping to, uh, to change for Midnight Sun. Yeah, there's a lot there, and uh, certainly the the background is is good there, and how you came across this, and of course, as you know, Adrian, you've been in this business for quite a while, and a lot longer than I have, but I've been here long enough to know that a lot of this work sometimes it doesn't always work out, as you well know, and I know it's hard to take something from exploration all the way into production and be successful. You know, we've certainly seen successes and also a lot of failures on that front, and and then there's some to be continued, of course. And Absolutely. so this one is is quite interesting in the sense of all the things that you mentioned and the different aspects that you have here. Why don't you just give us a quick overview of Midnight Sun and the strategy at this point? Sure. So Midnight Sun is developing a very, very large copper cobalt project in Zambia. And Zambia is a, a top-notch jurisdiction, absolutely top-notch as far as copper goes, um, some of the largest copper deposits and copper mines in Africa are located in Zambia. And uh, there's two general areas in Zambia. You have the traditional Zambian Congo copper belt, which runs sort of Northwest, Southeast. And uh, there's dozens of large deposits in that belt, um, number of operating mines historically. And uh, it, you know, it's an incredible jurisdiction. It's, it's world famous for a reason. Uh, these are very, very large copper deposits. So these are, these are not your typical um, you know, smaller porphyry deposit. Uh, these are very, very large. And there's a secondary area in Zambia, and that area is called the Domes region. And so basically this is a, a geological region that trends sort of directly west-east. This region in particular is home to some of the absolute biggest copper mines around. Um, you have First Quantum, very, very active in the area. It's called the Domes region. Um, you have First Quantum in, active in the area, and actually their number one project, Kinsanchi, 
is uh, located directly beside us. And you have Sentinel to the west, which is First Quantum's other uh, flagship asset to the west. And then you have Barrick's Lamwana deposit or Lamwana mine. Uh, these are all operating mines, by the way. And uh, Lamwana is just about 60 kilometers to the west of us. Just north of us, you have uh, Ivanhoe's Kamoa Kakula. And uh, China Molybdenum has the tanky deposit also just a little uh, just a little to the north. Um, so, you know, we're in arguably one of the top places in the world. And we're one of the only juniors in the area. I mean, we're really on our own. Um, as you had mentioned at the at the top of the uh, discussion here, Andrew, this is a, a very, very large project. And I think it's one of the toughest things for people to understand is the scale of this. It's 506 square kilometers. You know, it's just absolutely massive. In this area, these are not your typical, as I mentioned, not, not your typical tens of millions of tons or even 100 million tons. These are billion ton copper deposits. These are multi-generational, massive assets. Um, these will go on for decades and decades. And, uh, and that's what we're hunting for. And everybody surrounding us, the, every operator is operating a mine that's in the billion ton range. Um, so these are, these are tremendous, tremendous assets. Um, so, you know, we're in, the, we're in the right area and we're working on something that um, unique to us, we have multiple opportunities for, for a big system to be on our property here. So very unique opportunity. Appreciate that piece of it. And I want to come back to a couple of things that you've mentioned here. First to the jurisdiction, a number of investors tend to lump in continental Africa into kind of one big pot of jurisdictional risk. But when you break it down at the country level, you yes. tend to get a different picture, depending on which one we're talking about, what country, about the risk of each of those jurisdictions. As you know, we've seen competition for control of government. Uh, most recently in Niger, as well as ongoing troubles in Sudan, which have flared up, you know, over the last couple of years again, after some good progress. Um, and then there's, of course, some uncertainty with others, um, you know, other places like Burkina Faso continue to be question marks and, and difficult. On the other end of the spectrum, and I'm not going to mention all the countries here, there's a few sure. I'll leave out that I actually like, but... Um, you know, let's go down towards Namibia, for example, as a really good jurisdiction and a good standout example. Um, mm -hmm. If you're Robert Friedland, the DRC is a good example, maybe not yeah. so much for others. Um, but then Zambia falls in somewhere here as well. You know, you've got places like Botswana, which are not bad. You've got places like Ghana and CDI, which aren't too bad, Liberia. Um, yeah. You know, talk about where Zambia falls into the risk profile. Zambia is an extremely easy place to work. Um, Zambia is completely mining focused, democratic government, very, very easy country to work in, very uh, supportive of mining, supportive of development. They have a, a proper mining act in place. They have a democratic government, a president that supports mining through and through. Um, you know, it's this is this is the kind of jurisdiction you want to. And, and you really hit on an important point, Andrew. I mean, you have 60 some odd countries to think about. Um, and, and certainly like, there's a spectrum here from top to bottom. There's countries that, that you would not want to be working in that are extremely, extremely difficult. There's countries at the very top of this chain that are incredible to work in. Very easy, very um, friendly and, and mining centric. And Zambia is one of those. Um, so for us, I mean, you're looking at a country that has 75% of their export earnings coming from copper mining. This is literally their bread and butter. And so, they're going to do what they can to support that. They're going to do what they can to help that move forward. Um, and, it, and it makes a big difference when you have so many majors and so many operators in a jurisdiction that 
obviously it, it behooves everybody to keep this system running properly and not disrupt that. Um, so we're, we're really fortunate. I mean, it really is one of the best places to be working and, uh, and, it, and without really any, any difficulty. I agree. I think it's, it's towards the, the better end of the curve, if you will, Absolutely. Uh, for sure. Okay, back to Midnight Sun here. Why don't we just cover off the capital structure? The, uh, the shares outstanding, of course, cash on hand, major shareholders, and also, if you don't mind, you know, any potential view on potential future financing. Okay, well, so Midnight Sun's been around for a, about 12 years. And the company was initially uh, working um, on projects in various different areas, trying to sort of fine tune a flagship project. They ended up with this project in, in Zambia. And, uh, and over the course of that time, I, I have to give real credit to the, uh, the executive team at Midnight Sun in terms of maintaining their share structure. Um, you know, I, I find it really interesting when I start working with a new group, um, looking at, you know, their ethos as far as share structure goes and as far as building companies goes. And, and really, first and foremost to them, it was protecting that share structure at all costs and, and making sure that it didn't get out of control as they were building this project. And, and just to, you know, going a little outside of the capital structure side of things, it's worth noting that, again, this project we're working on is 500 square kilometers, right? It's, it's hard to fathom how big that is, but it's an incredibly, incredibly large, vast, if you will, area to go in and, and explore and develop. And basically the team at Midnight Sun took the attitude that we're going to do what we can. We're going to protect the share structure. We're only going to finance as much as we need to. We're going to keep the burn rate super low. Um, you know, we're not going to have fancy offices. We're not going to be flashy. We're not going to do anything we don't have to do. And, um, you know, they've, they've done what they can on the marketing side. They've moved the project forward. They've developed the project. They've drilled. They've done lots and lots of work. And over the course of that entire 12 years, um, they've issued 118 million shares, which if you've been around this business a while, that is a pretty impressive accomplishment. Um, so the company today has a 118 million shares out, um, market cap of around 27 million and trades between 20, 21 and 24 cents kind of thing. The uh, 52 week range, if you will, we've been as low as 11 and as high as 35. We kind of hang in there um, around this price right now. Not a lot of warrants outstanding, around 10 million. Um, there's around 9 million options outstanding. Um, so the share structure is well intact. But I think it's worth noting that there are a few individuals that have very large positions in this company. So if you look at the public float, you're probably really only looking at around 60, 65 million shares in the public float, maybe a little more than that, maybe maybe 80 million shares. But um, there's a, a lot of stock here that is locked away with very good hands and uh, and they've done an incredible job protecting this. Yeah, that's great, Adrian. And definitely you highlight the time frame. I figure somewhere from start to finish here, it's around 15 years. Yeah, probably closer to 10, I think, on the current focus, but still, right. it's, it is it is quite impressive. I mean, given the juniors you and I have seen in this sector, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of them are issuing issuing 118 million shares per year. <laughs> exactly. These these things can climb yeah. quickly. And it's uh, you, when you start staring down the barrel of a billion share, share structure, you, you have an issue. Um, yeah. <laughs> I see companies getting there nowadays, and I'm going, you know, at the end of the day, this is about upside. This is about opportunity for our, for our shareholders. And if you don't maintain your share structure and you don't give the stock a fighting chance um, when a transformative event happens, then you've really given away the, the biggest opportunity that people are looking for. 
Um, and so yeah. everybody here recognizes that and they've, they've done what they could to make sure that that, that stayed intact. Um, you know, and now I think we're getting to the point where something transformative may be close and we're going to develop this project and uh, copper prices have aligned. Everything, everything has come into place. You know, I have a, a phrase that I like to use and we've used this a lot over the years. And, you know, I think timing is kind of everything. I think that, um, you know, you really want to be bringing these projects on stream and bringing them online at, at times when, um, you know, the copper price or the price of whatever metal you might be working on, when the price lines up, demand lines up, everything is kind of going in your favor and you've got that tailwind and you're bringing this project through. And I mean, that's, that's what's happening with Midnight Sun right now. You've got everything right. going in your favor, all the right people, all the right elements in place. Um, and now you've also got the share structure to support now this development phase that we're, we're excited to start getting into. So much complexity with timing, as you know, as certainly from the investor side, timing is, is very difficult to get everything correct, get the cycle oh. correct. And I think and it's the toughest else. thing you face. Yeah, it's really, really tough. Oh, yeah, very, very difficult. And your reference to billion share capital structures. Well, don't pick too much on our Aussie friends, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless. Okay, let's talk people. Just just cover off key people at the company for us. Sure. Um, so CEO is Al Fabro um, and uh, our, our VP of Exploration is Rob Sibthorpe. And, you know, just to talk a little bit about Al and, and Rob, um, as I mentioned, I've known Al for probably 20 years or so, but Al, uh, Al has been around for a very long time. He's very well known. Um, his family is, is in the business and uh, Al started out on the broker side. Um, I think he actually started out, he loves to tell the story that he started out uh, working in the field as a teenager. Um, so him and I kind of have that in common. We both started very, very young and, and were exposed to this business at a young age. Um, but Al, uh, Al went the, went the broker route, ended up working for Yorkton and uh, working with their natural resource group, which of course, Frank Juster was involved with that same group and um, Al and Rob Sibthorpe. And, and really, I mean, they, this is a group of people that vetted some of the biggest minds that were developed in the eighties and nineties. And, and, you know, he was a key part of that. And basically they would assess absolutely top-notch projects and, and a lot that weren't. And if you look at their, their hit rate for the projects that they, they vetted and approved and ended up, you know, initially financing, um, those ended up being some of the biggest minds in Canada throughout the nineties and that it's really cool stuff. And uh, so Al was with the natural resource group for um, a very long time. Uh, following that, he went on to work at Canaccord for around 10 years. Um, same kind of thing, doing um, natural resource analysis and, uh, and picking and choosing projects to, uh, to be developed and financed. And that you can't buy that kind of experience, right? This is incredible. I mean, you spend that number of years evaluating projects and really seeing the nitty gritty of what works, what doesn't, how the economics work. Um, that gives you a view on projects that... Uh, like, as I said, you just can't buy it. Um, and so in 2008, Al went on, uh, Al and Rob actually went on to start Rocks Gold and they found the Yeramoko deposit in Burkina Faso. And, uh, it was incredibly, uh, great projects in production today. Um, and following Rocks Gold, uh, they decided to move on and do uh, Midnight Sun. So that's how Midnight Sun kind of came into effect. So Al and Rob both uh, been around forever and, and, you know, very, very, uh, accomplished individuals. Um, we also have, uh, uh, Matt McKenzie, Matt McKenzie's uh, been working with Al for about 15 years. Uh, another fantastic individual that has spent a long time in the business, started on the investment banking side 
and moved over to work with Midnight Sun and work with Al directly and, and Rocks Gold, of course, as well. He's part of the Rocks Gold team. Um, you know, and, and rounding out our board, I mean, we have a really, really great, really experienced group of people. We have Brett Richards, of course, uh, Brett's with Gold Shore Resources, CEO of Gold Shore, um, Rick Mazur, Wayne Morehouse, CFO, Alistair Brownlow. So all really great people with really extensive experience in, in the resource sector at different levels. So, I mean, you have, you have a strong board, strong team led by people that have spent literally their entire lives in this business. Um, so I'm, I feel pretty lucky, you know, I'm surrounded by, uh, by great people and and that's what it takes to move these projects forward. Thank you for that, Adrian. I appreciate that. And it is a pretty good team that's got this set up and just the overall location of, of the company's licenses really just being sandwiched in with a number of majors. I, I struggle to find juniors in this particular region. And, and if you know of one, please point that out for the audience for comparative purposes, but more of the majors just being that first quantum is there Barrick is also right nearby, Rio Tento's in the country, Anglo-Americans yeah. in the country. You've got Ivanhoe to the north of the DRC, as you said. And you've got this other player, uh, you know, this new player that's called Kobold Metals yeah. coming into this sector as well. Just talk about the overall players in the region for a moment, and then I want to get into uh, some of the specific targets and project areas. Yeah, that's a really an exciting part of this story, Andrew. I mean, it, this is really, this is a region that is, a hotbed of, of focus right now. This is really where people want to be. Um, you know, it, I've worked in a lot of different areas throughout my career. I can't honestly say that I've ever been in an area where there's been more activity with majors and, and senior producers. Um, as you mentioned, you've got Barrick, um, you've got First Quantum, and First Quantum, of course, their their flagship, Consanchi Mine. Uh, it's less than seven kilometers away from our property. So they're literally next door to us. Um, you have the Sentinel Mine, of course, as well, which is also First Quantum. Um, you have Ivanhoe to the north. Of course, they are in DRC. So that presents, you know, Robert Friedland's the right guy to be doing that project and to be developing that. Um, I'm not sure if anybody else would have been successful with it. DRC is an incredibly difficult place to work comparatively. You know, and then you have, uh, as I mentioned, China molybdenum with the tanky deposit. But this is an area that, you know, right there, you've got at least three majors on top of that, you have Rio, Rio Tinto. We've worked with Rio in the past. We did have a deal with them at one point, which led to some really great positive developments for us. Um, accelerated our property to 100% ownership. Uh, it allowed us to, um, you know, get a, a tremendous amount of data that we could apply and, and work with our team on going forward. Um, but Rio is still in the area. Rio is actually uh, also a big landholder. Um, they don't have a major operation, but they are working on uh, on claims that are actually completely adjacent to ours and surrounding us. Interestingly, look, seeming to look at some targets that are uh, that are predominantly on our property. And then you have, as you mentioned, Cobold, and uh, Cobold is a really, really interesting player. They're um, they're new to the space, they're aggressive, and I think there's a couple big sort of um, themes that are worth looking at here when you look at the Domes region and you look at this region that we're working in. The first is you have all these majors, right? You have a, a large amount of majors, all very, very active, trying to move, push things forward. Um, Barrick in particular is, uh, if you look at Mark Bristow and his his sort of recent commentary, um, he's not shy about M&A activity and he's not shy about his interest in copper. And he's very, very outspoken about Zambia right now and how aggressive they are towards developing Zambian assets. And as far as copper goes, it's their predominant focus. Um, you know, that's obviously, that's, that's what we want to be hearing. That's great to know that, that if you look at somebody like Barrick, 
they're thinking the same thing we are, which is this is the top place to be if you want to be looking for big multi-generational copper deposits. And Cobalt, brand new players to the area, but uh, to, to provide your uh, listeners with a little bit of background, Cobalt is a, a private exploration mining company and they're utilizing really advanced AI technology to advance their projects. So they're, you know, they're using traditional exploration methods, but they're also applying AI and it's allowing them to basically get, I guess, accelerate the process of selecting targets, analyzing targets, picking the best targets for drilling and moving projects forward. And, and it's a new theory. It's a new company. Um, but what's really interesting is who's behind the company. And that's Bill Gates. Jeff Bezos and Michael Bloomberg. Um, they've also just uh, just finished another round of financing, um, and that included uh, Richard Branson and Jack Ma. And uh, I mean, it's it's literally incredible when you look at the the breadth of individuals involved, their finance team, and who's behind this thing. I mean, it's literally the the four or five top financial people in the world here that are that are deciding now to get into mining, not just to get into mining, but to get into copper. And not just to get into copper, but to go to Zambia. And so they've they've recently put 150 million into a project not far away from where we're working, and uh, they're aggressively looking at Zambia for copper cobalt targets. Um, so you have a new player on the block, and this is they're they're in the same area as us. They're focused on the same thing as us for exactly the same reasons, and uh, and it just happens to involve four or five of the the most powerful financial uh, individuals on the planet. So it, it's, I mean, it, it doesn't really get much more exciting than that. You've got everybody in the area, um, you know, everybody from BHP and Rio and, and First Quantum, Barrick, and now Cobalt. I mean, everybody is here and, uh, and all to the same end and all looking for the same thing, which is a very, very large multi-generational copper deposit. Interesting setup because I hear a lot, there's, there's a lot that comes across my desk anyway about this particular region, the, the commentary out of Barrick, uh, the copper diversification move there or adding adding more copper on the barrack portfolio side and just the overall competition in the area uh mm -hmm. it, it seems definitely quite active in this area the financial backing of this new player kobold is interesting they tend to take a different approach here from what i've seen in their marketing materials but you know the reality is it's an exploration potentially to be mining company as much as you want to sweeten it up that mining is absolutely necessary in this world and that everything that we have mm -hmm. Uh, comes from yeah. mining and including fertilizers that we put on our plants. So um, you've got this overall license area that, that appears to be, it's, it seems to be broken up into about four licenses from what I can tell. That's mm -hmm. mostly contagious, collectively called Sowezi, which has Dumwa and Kaziba and uh, Maitu or Mitu. Just talk about the different areas. And then, you know, my assumption is here that Dumwa is obviously the key cover off these project areas and, and the, some of the targets? There's three licenses in total. So those licenses are, are the two to the south are owned 100%. License to the northwest is owned 84%. Uh, but we do have a, an acceleration clause there that the underlying option or is, uh, is required to participate in a pro basis. So we can actually accelerate that and uh, I think likely take that to 100% fairly easily as well. Um, but what's what's really interesting about this is that the property's broken up into let's call it four three or four areas and each of those areas geologically we believe to be a system of its own so 
again, going back to how large this is, when you're, if you're dealing with a, a small postage stamp sized exploration property, you're not likely to have five gold mines on your property or three gold mines. In a situation like this, where you've got 500 square kilometers and each section of the property has its own kind of unique geology. And, um, you know, these, these deposits are typically formed around geological domes. And so, uh, which of course is why they call it the domes region. Um, on our property, we have multiple domes, we have multiple systems. And, uh, and so what we're finding is that there are sort of three or four unique systems completely unto their own, which have the potential to host a major deposit. And so you can go in here and look at this and say, look, we could work at Dumbwa or Kaziva or Me Too or Crunch. And each of these could be independently a world-class system. Um, so that is, first of all, one of the most, I've never seen that actually in my entire career where you have that many opportunities on one parcel of land. And so geologically, you know, you, you really have an opportunity here. And so uh, if you look at these, these areas and what we're working on, you have um, an area called Dumbwa that's down in the Southeast. And so you did, you nailed the name here. It's called Sowazi. So we call this the Sowazi project. The reason for that is between the Kinsanchi mine and, uh, and our property, there's a little town called Sulwazy and it's a, it's a beautiful little town. It's, it's a university town. Um, they're it, basically everybody that lives there is, is supporting the local mining industry. Um, they're proud to be part of that. They're really, you know, excited to do that and, uh, excited to work for first quantum and, and these are great employers and these people are very, very happy to be working for them. So we are basically developing these projects. We have something called Dumbwa and that's target number one. And that's in the Southeast corner of our property. We have the Me Too trend or what we just refer to generally as Me Too. Me Too is to slightly to the West of Dumbwa. So that's kind of in the Southwest corner of our property. Then a little to the North of that, we have an area called the crunch zone. And then north of that, the northwest corner, and the area that's closest to the, to the actual Kinsanchi mine gates is an area called Kaziba. And uh, we have something there called the 22 zone, which was our first major discovery on the property. And so um, each of those areas, Dumbwa, Kaziba, Mitu, and Crunch, are each targets of their own that have potential to host a multi-generational deposit. Um, so I guess in terms of those, we've kind of ranked them and, uh, and when I say we've ranked them, we've ranked them area, uh, you know, other people that we've been working with have, have ranked them as well. Um, you know, previous, uh, companies that we, we had deals with like Rio have looked at these. And at the end of the day, um, I think we have a pretty good handle on which sort of make our best shot. And you mentioned Dumbwa and Dumbwa for us is our, we, we consider it a tier one exploration target. Um, every company that, that is operating the area that we've spoken with refers to it as a tier one exploration target. And Dumbwa is, um, so a couple things before I explain Dumbwa in detail. It's important to understand that in this area, it's, you know, when you think of Africa, a lot of times I think, you, you know, you envision kind of that dry desert looking, um, you know, really lack of vegetation, lots of, lots of dirt and rock hills and that kind of thing. This is very different. Zambia is very green, very lush. And uh, so the entire area does have cover over it. So you don't see a lot of exposed rock. You don't see a, almost any exposed bedrock. And so what you're really looking for when you're tracking these deposits is, is soil anomalies, good geochemistry, good structural targets. 
And, uh, you know, if you get lucky that you might run into something where there's a bit of an outcrop and you can, you can see these. So what Dumbwa is, is it's an area where we found a very, very large soil anomaly. And that soil anomaly is over 20 kilometers long. And uh, the grades, it's, you know, maybe a kilometer wide, maybe even a little bit more than a kilometer wide. Um, but the grades actually peak at about 0.728% copper. And, and 0.728 in soil anomalies is incredible. I mean, that's very, very high grade. Typically, you're looking for trace amounts. That's mineable. Like, that's the kind of grade. If you look at the, the mines in the region, they are mostly around 05 to 0.6% copper. And when you're finding 0.728 in a soil anomaly, in a geochem anomaly, uh, you're onto something significant. Um, we've also noticed that along that entire 20 kilometer structure, there's multiple vegetation kill zones. And those vegetation kill zones are really interesting. They're basically caused by uh, sulfides in the, in the soil. They're caused by mineralization. Um, we initially thought that they were agriculture related. Maybe they'd been farmed and, and you know, something had happened there and it isn't the case at all. And uh, on one of our field visits, um, one of the geologists that was visiting the site with us actually went out there and started kicking around uh, into one of these these vegetation kill zones and uh, was able to get to bedrock very very quickly and easily and basically there was massive bornite in the bedrock that he found and uh, you know very high grade copper material so there are multiple stacked horizons there lots of mineralization kind of similar to the Lamuana deposit at first glance um, but it's too early to know right now what we really need to see is what the structure is that's feeding this large soil anomaly and what that means and it's it's directly on strike with the Kinsanchi mine and the Kinsanchi deposit. And everything seems lined up with Dumbwa. Um, so we've had a lot of interest in that. And now what we're trying to do, we want to make that our, our first kind of shot out of the gate. Um, we think that it's our best shot at a, at a large deposit, a large system. And so we're in the midst right now of finalizing our strategy to, uh, to finance that forward and, and develop that project and to go after that first. And maybe you can touch on some of these other backup options or not backup, totally. but other projects that can be explored because like you said, they're potential company makers on their own. I think one thing that folks are probably questioning just a little bit here would be that, you know, okay, you had a JV in the past. Why didn't that JV continue? That's one question. And then also just remind the audience too, that these structures are costly to explore. And that's why to some degree, that it's been difficult to advance in the sense that they're expensive to explore and, yeah. and just talk about that and, and some of the potential JV and then of course the past primary JV that was important for the company in terms of carry, uh, yeah. you know, that got the company through a number of years. Absolutely. So let me, let me give you a little bit of background on that JV, just so you can understand that part first. And um, so a couple of years ago, we signed a deal with Rio Tinto. Rio Tinto was to come in uh, to earn a majority interest. They had to spend a significant amount of money. I believe it was around 40 million to get to that majority ownership. They carried out a lot of work, but they're not drill oriented. This was work that was, there was not drilling predominantly, a lot of geophysics, a lot of geochem. And uh, there was a geologist running that program that was, of course, these are SEDEX deposits, right? So we're not dealing with porphyry uh, deposits and, and Rio at the time was very porphyry focused. Their team was porphyry focused. Their team was porphyry expert oriented, if you will. That created difficulty because they had one individual that was really driving this forward and really pushing this project ahead um, that had recommended this project. But really at the end of the day, 
they did a lot of work. They did a lot of geochem, did a lot of geophysics. Unfortunately, that geologist left and kind of left Rio Tinto. And this is in the middle of the program. I left Rio Tinto without any direction, um, not really knowing where to go and what to do with this. Um, they did have a large cash payment due to us. And they decided at one point to go up and drill four holes. And they picked a random target. Wasn't even particularly structural. They drilled four corner post holes. And that was basically it. They opted out of the deal before they had to make that cash payment. Um, you know, and I think it's important that to us, we looked at it as a sign of, you know, not necessarily giving up on the project, but not having faith without their own expertise to really push it ahead and cutting their losses and knowing that, hey, we've got this big cash payment. Maybe this isn't the best idea. And that, that's our interpretation of it. You know, Rio had acquired a fairly large land position in the area back in 2018. Um, which included ground all, all around to the south of us. And, uh, and they still have those claims today. So they've still stayed active in the area. They're still working, but they opted out of continuing on this particular uh, block of claims. But, you know, I don't think it really speaks too much to the quality of the project it's as much more that for them, it was just too much of a swing without really the, the geological handle on it to, uh, to move forward. You know, and, and there's a couple of interesting players here. I mean, if you look at, um, historically with this project, David Broughton, who is uh, a fantastic geologist. And going back to the Kobold thing, David actually works for Kobold now. They've acquired pretty much the top talent in the region, and, and they've picked up uh, David Broughton. Uh, David Broughton discovered Kansanchi. He also discovered uh, Kamoa Kakula for Ivanhoe. Probably not a single geologist has a better handle on the geology of the Zambian Congo Copper Belt and the Domes region than David. And uh, David Broughton has been helpful to us. He's been an informal advisor to us. He has supported this project, recommended this project. Um, he's very keen on this property and, and what we're doing. And a number of years ago, he told our team, do whatever you have to do, you know, mortgage your house, sell your kids, do what it takes. Don't ever lose these claims. It's very, very important. And, you know, encouraged our guys to, to stick with this. And, uh, and they did. And he's been there uh, all the way along and, and, you know, he's looked at, at all of these things and, and can really see the, the benefit. And of course, not only do they have David Broughton, but Kobold picked up uh, uh, Murray Hitzman. Murray is the uh, ex-head of the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, has worked with David for years and, and would also be one of the absolute top people. And that individual that I mentioned uh, that ran the program for Rio Tinto on our property uh, also now works for Kobold and, and has been, uh, has become one of their team members as well. So they've acquired kind of like the, the SEAL Team 6 of developing Zambian Congo Copper Belt deposits to push their projects forward. And um, that's pretty unique in the situation as well. And it really speaks to the experience of the individual that was with, with Rio Tinto that was pushing our project forward, um, that he's now working in the region for, I would say, one of the most aggressive companies out there. Let me dive into these, Andrew. Let me give you a little bit of an idea of what we're looking at here for, for other targets. And, and I would just say, too, that when we're looking at these, I highlight Dumbwa as sort of our top target. And I think that's accurate, but it doesn't diminish the quality of the other targets. These are, these are all great targets on their own. And I guess if you were to look at it, it's kind of like this one's, you know, maybe Dumbwa is tier one, maybe Kaziba is tier one B or, or Me Too or Crunch are tier one B, C and D. I mean, they're all top-notch targets. Um, if you look at Kaziba, so let's talk about Kaziba for a second. Kaziba is up in the, is the northwest corner of the property, closest to the uh, Kansanchi mine. And it's where we had our, kind of our initial discovery. Kaziba is really a, 
a pretty incredible area as well, less than 10 clicks from the gates of the Kinsanchi mine. And there's a big basement dome there, very, very similar to what they find at Kinsanchi. And we went up and we've actually drilled a fair bit at Kaziba and uh, we hit multiple intercepts. And, and when you look again at the grade, let's say the grade at Kinsanchi, the Kinsanchi mine is you know, 0.5, 0.6% copper. These are mines that are you know, 0.66, I think is their average. But it's important to understand that the Kinsanchi mine is largely sediment or shale hosted copper, runs maybe 0. 0.3 to 0.5%, but they have these large wide calcite veins that run far higher grade, you know, 3%, 5% copper, and those drive the grade. Um, so you're really looking to try and find those high grade hits, but you know, 5.5.6%, you're into the right material. Um, if you look at our drilling at Kaziba, you know, we have stuff like 11 and a half meters of 5.7% copper, 21 meters of 3.2% copper, 6.4 meters of 5% copper. Those are incredible grades and, and really great numbers. And so those are, those are speaking to the quality of the material that we're finding. Um, and that's where we hit our, we call those our discovery holes. I mean, our, we, our very first hole at Kaziba was an RC hole. Um, we went back and tested that with a diamond drill. And uh, that second hole, which we term our discovery hole, came back at 11 and a half meters of 5.7% copper. And in these areas, you're not going to get those big porphyry style, broad 100 meter plus intercepts. You're going to get, you know, 11, 12, 14, 15 meters in these sort of things. These are, these are, you know, not particularly deep. They're like a long, flat layer um, of material that runs for kilometers and kilometers. And, and that's the kind of stuff we're finding here. So this is significant. So Dumbwa, target number one, big soil anomaly, 20 kilometers long, 0.728% copper. Then we have Kaziba. Kaziba is target number two. Um, again, 11 and a half meters of 5.7% copper. Then we have Mitu. Mitu is a little further down to the south, kind of in the southwest corner. And we just released some drill results, actually. And, and so this was a really interesting situation for us where we previously thought that this might be a Kinsanchi style system at Mitu. Um, but the latest drill results that we put out, these are from 2022, but they were actually drill results where they came back quite favorably um, to the point where we kind of thought, man, we, we should recheck these. So we sent them back for reassay, got those results back a few weeks ago. Um, and those intercepts were fantastic. Uh, 11 and a half meters of 3.44% copper uh, and 11 and a half meters of 1.4% copper. Uh, you know, fantastic, great grades, exactly what we were hoping to find. But what's critical here is that geologically we discovered something we didn't realize and that was that we have copper but we have significant cobalt and we also have nickel and a little bit of gold anomalous gold so that suite of metals has not been something we've seen before and that is the same suite of metals with the same grades and sort of the grade balance of the sentinel mine to the west first quantum sentinel mine and so what that established for us is number one, proof of concept. Okay, we've got another system here. So we've got a system at Dumbwa, we've got a system at Kaziba, we've got a system at Mitu. But what that tells us is that we have a new analog, brand new analog that this system looks just like the Sentinel mine. Um, and that's super exciting for our team. So now we have something new to look at there. And, uh, and so that target will definitely be on the, on the docket for us to go and, uh, and look at developing. And then we have Crunch. So Crunch is our fourth target. It's the newest target that we have. 
Um, it's a structural target and predominantly uh, uh, developed based on geochem and uh, some VTEM anomalies or a very large VTEM anomaly. So same kind of stratigraphy as First Quantum's Consanchi mine, but this is the right look for, you know, some kind of a, a big structural target, something happening with a, a lot of folding and, and deformation of, of the structure. So there's definitely something to look at there as well, but it requires a, a lot more uh, grassroots work before we can get to serious drilling at that target. I mean, that kind of rounds out. Those are our four big kind of system targets. And then I'll uh, I'll tell you about the the oxide. We have an oxide potential system, oxide target, if you will. But I'll throw it back to you for a second, Andrew, before I dive into that. That was a lot of info and give you a chance to to kind of ask anything about those targets that you might want to. Talk about the ownership structure of these just for, for, for the audience to understand you know, with the past JV, you know, with that essentially not moving anywhere forward at this point, yeah. how that reverts back to the company in terms of ownership of these projects. And then I think with this, you know, the grades are good. Uh, you know, if, again, if you find scale, then we know that these work, just take a look at the surrounding mining operations. And obviously right. the Zambia's, uh, oh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, although I've not done a lot of work on this, but I'm assuming Zambia is somewhere in the top four copper producers in the world. And so just come back and, and talk about that JV handback, if you will. And then yeah. I think the big question here is just how does the company fund? Obviously, you want to go after the first focus and delineate yeah. that and hopefully have success to raise capital on the back of that success to continue the work. You know, obviously, discovery financing is so much easier, right? But just Absolutely. talk about how the company is going to approach raising enough capital to get majors interested, if you will, if, if yeah. that's going to be the approach or if there's going to be some other approach in terms of soliciting other juniors and even potentially majors to take off a bite and take one of these targets as a JV. Just cover that piece off for us. Yeah, absolutely. So going back initially, let's just talk about that initial JV with Rio Tinto. So this property was initially uh, owned by MMG. We had uh, we actually purchased it from a group in China that owned it privately, and uh, and so we had an underlying option on this property. Important to note that there are no NSRs or anything. This property is owned 100%. But the work we did with Rio Tinto actually worked to our advantage um, in a big way. And there's two major takeaways from that work. One is data, right? We have geological data that we not we wouldn't have had. I mean, they spent a fair bit of money, mostly on geochem and and um, mag work, really, and geo geophysics. And uh, we ended up with all that data, so we have a huge amount of data that we wouldn't have had. The other thing is the work expenditure that was applied to these claims accelerated our underlying options, and to the point where we earned 100% ownership. So the Rio deal, the, the biggest benefit that came from the Rio deal is accelerated our property ownership to 100%. And we own those claims 100% now. So we have, uh, and they also accelerated licenses. These are nine-year licenses um, that we have. We were free and clear to work, you know, on and, and going forward without any uh, encumbrances whatsoever. So you have... Ownership now, 100% ownership of these claims. Uh, the one, as I mentioned, in the northwest corner where Kaziba is, that's 84% owned. Um, but we do have an acceleration clause there, so we can push that forward and, and take that to 100% ownership as well. Um, so there's no no issue from that perspective. We've got ownership. We don't have any underlying uh, royalties or anything. So we're in the absolute perfect position to move these forward now. 
And so that brings us to the, to the strategy, right? This is, this is a key thing. How are we going to move this forward? And what we've decided, you know, we've looked at different options. We've looked at going this alone. Um, but it goes back to something you mentioned earlier, Andrew, and that is this is a very large project. It's capital intensive and it's complicated. For a junior, this is not the kind of property you typically end up in. Um, it's much larger than most juniors would be willing to dive into. And it's in an area that is dominated by majors. So typically it'd be the majors in there doing this work and, and developing these assets. Um, but our team had the guts to go in and do it. They took the chance and they found a way forward. It's been slower. I don't think anybody on our team would, would say that this has you know, been an ideal amount of time. We'd love to have had this off the ground uh, five years ago or six years ago. But the reality is the copper price wasn't there. The demand wasn't there. Like this is a new development over the last couple of years. So now you have demand. This is that tailwind I was talking about, right? You have demand, you have grade, you have scalability, you've got copper price going in your favor, and you have interest from everybody right now. The, this area is as hot as it gets from, from the perspective of majors getting in there. And we're really the only junior in town. We're the only real player that has key ground in the domes region. So um, you know, we're, we're in the ultimate position that way. And so we've looked at this and thought, do we go and finance this on our own? We could, certainly. I don't think it would be difficult to raise the money necessary at this point. We've had lots of interest in doing that. But strategically, how does that sit for our shareholders? Well, it means a huge hit from, uh, you know, share structure standpoint. There's no way, this is, this is capital intensive, right? So you're looking at, you know, 10 to $20 million to get an answer on Dumbois to figure out if Dumbo is real. Is it the system we think it is? We're pretty confident that there's a serious, serious shot that this is one of these big copper systems. Um, and if we're right, this is gonna be a complete game changer. But we know it's gonna take 10 to 20 million bucks. It needs 30 to 40,000 meters of drilling. And that's what these take. This is not simple, they're big systems, they're complicated. So how do you address them? You go in and you do big systematic diamond drill program get to depth, figure out if they're real, and really establish what you're sitting on here. And if we went out and raised 10 to $20 million, we've blown up our share structure. And yes, we can do it in tranches and we can move it forward, but it's going to be slow, right? We're going to have to do it, you know, three to 5 million at a time and, and piece our way up. Or we bring in a partner. And we've settled on the idea of bringing in a strategic partner. And uh, we've been carrying forward discussions on that now for the last few months. And, uh, you know, we're, we're working diligently on closing something that will give us the, the capital to, uh, to attack Dumbois in the way that it deserves to be. So that's our goal is to do a strategic joint venture, to bring in a partner and develop Dumbois. In our eyes, that kind of deal will give us a, at the end of the day, obviously we'll bring in a, a, a group that would end up with a majority interest, but would leave us with an important riding interest and, uh, and allow us to see this develop have a significant interest in the project carried going forward. And with Dumbwa moving uh, forward on its own, gives us the ability to maintain the blue sky of Kaziba, Me Too, and Crunch, and go develop those on our own or bring in another partner. And so, you know, this is the benefit of having a 500 square kilometer project with multiple systems. We, we can kind of get things going on a number of fronts and really increase the excitement level and, and the potential and, and the opportunity for our shareholders. But Dumbo is going to be the first out of the gate. And we've gotten pretty close here to answering our question about how we're going to do it. 
Um, so we're, we're working diligently on getting that done as quickly as possible. I like the approach. Uh, sounds like it's all hands on deck to get that strategy over the finish line or at least a start to that side of it, Adrian. So that makes sense. And it sounds like, you know, at this point, it's it's essentially a pretty lean GNA strategy going forward until that's brought mm -hmm. out. And then, of course, like you said, there's enough suitors that you can look at, uh, you know, a second or even a third JV at this yeah. point. Very interesting. And it sounds like there's some good work going on, hopefully, that the market will be able to hear about in the near future. Just to wrap up here, I know we've been talking for a while here. I just want a, a few other things before we go sure. here, just to give the audience a, a full context of an introduction a podcast for this company. You know, we always like to ask our guests about local community relations, government relations, although, of course, we know the company is small and at the, at the small junior level at this point. But just talk about, you know, community relations briefly and also those government relations in terms of, you know, obviously that's important to keep licenses in good standing, yep. but just talk briefly about those efforts. Absolutely. So, I mean, going back to the beginning, the, we talked about Zambia as a, as a region, right? Zambia is a really mining-friendly, mining-centric region. Um, Sulawesi in particular, because you have so many big operating mines in the general area. And, uh, you know, the, the government is a newly elected, democratic elected government. Um, the, the president of Zambia is extremely positive and, and forward thinking about mining, um, very supportive of mining and, and recognizes, again, 75% of their export earnings. So this is critical to the Zambian economy. And uh, our, our work with the government there has been phenomenal. We've had no problems, nothing but, but positive experiences. And uh, we found them very easy to work with. And, and so we've had, you know, we have a number of people working for us that are local Zambian and really important from a perspective of community relations. There's a big opportunity here. I mean, you have a 50, 60, 70,000 person town of Solwezi predominantly supporting the mines in the area. And so these are people that are, you have an experienced workforce, you have a keen workforce that wants to be out there, that's proud to be out there, that wants to be involved. And so of course we hire local as much as possible. I think there's a big opportunity here for both hiring local and for education to bring people on. You know, from our side, we're not a senior, we're not a mine company, we're an explorer and a developer. Um, but there's really a good opportunity here for training um, local workforce. We can bring people in and uh and work with as many local individuals as we possibly can and and hopefully kind of leave uh leave some footprints behind in terms of experience in terms of of education and uh and giving locals an opportunity to work with us here on this project as we develop it and uh if we have something significant let's say a, a 15 million dollar program running i mean that, that pumps a lot of money into the local economy and uh, it really increases our presence there. And, and that does nothing but benefit the town of Sulawesi and, and Zambia in general. And if we're gonna bring a, a large copper deposit on stream, um, you know, this realistically, this isn't an area where we're gonna build another mine. I wouldn't imagine. You have Kinsanchi seven kilometers away. Um, I can't imagine, uh, we're, certainly we're not looking to build this on our own. Most likely another major that has a, a facility in the area is gonna utilize whatever we find as feed for for their for their actual mine um you know and and who knows maybe maybe somebody bigger would look at this and say hey this deposit is is multi-generational you have a billion tons at dumbla we're building a mine at dumbla like why would we truck this stuff all the way to Kinsanchi or or lamuana or wherever else so that remains to be seen but at the end of the day 
we have the opportunity here to have lots of impact on the local community and uh, it's a primary focus for us for sure. Yeah, good points. You know, again, and it's, it's nothing new for people who know what they're doing in this sector. Um, everybody acts like ESG is something new, but uh, the reality is, is it's not uh, for those who already have experience and in some cases, common sense, to be honest, Adrian. But I appreciate yeah. you covering that off. And I think that's a, a good way to approach it here. And there's a lot of, you know, blue sky, if you will, on the potential here with this and just the proximity of the, the optionality of build new facilities or potentially use existing well, let's touch on one other thing real quick, and then we'll wrap up. Overall sure. company awareness, as you know, we're in a pretty poor junior market as far as sentiment goes, unless there's company specific, you know, discovery success or something like this. But for the most part, sentiment's pretty beat up this year across the sector, whether you're talking about copper, whether you're talking about uranium, gold, what have you, it pretty well beat up with the exception of a few standout companies. But just talk about briefly, what are the efforts over the next few months to get more eyes and ears on the company? I guess this really comes down to this is, this is kind of where I come in. Um, this is my my specialty and what I'm most passionate about with these projects is really gaining market awareness and and letting the public know about something like this. And if I were to look at Midnight Sun, and, and let's be as objective as possible about this, looking at Midnight Sun over the last 10 years, they've done a phenomenal job on moving this project forward, maintaining that share structure and being really sensible about what to do and what not to do and, and keeping this company in the best standing it could possibly be in. But if there's one thing you could look at and say that there's been a lack of something or, or it hasn't been forward. I, I would say fairly that this company hasn't been marketed as much as it should be. And it's not a slight on the management. It's just a really speaking to the quality of the market, the timing, the copper price, and the really the ability to get this out there. You know, this is a, a tremendously unique situation. You don't see projects like this every day. This is very, very unique. And I've only seen a couple of these in my career. You have size, you have scalability, you have grade, you have majors in the area. Make your hit list of all the things you want to see in a great mining project, and they're all sitting in front of you at the Solwazy project. Like this is this has all the makings, all the elements and secret ingredients you're looking for. You make an interesting point, which is that the markets are tough. You've been around a long time, I've been around a long time. We've seen good markets, we've seen super tough markets, and the general sentiment in the junior sector is that when the markets are tough, you pull in your horns, right? You go quiet, don't do a lot of work, keep your capital expenditure down. And I agree with that. Certainly, you have to be conservative with your capital. You have to be careful. But I'll make a contrary comment to all of this and, and that I always like to do things a little differently than most people do. I think there's a huge opportunity. If you have a truly outstanding project, and you have all the elements going in your favor, great market for whatever metal you happen to be working in, in our case, it's copper, demand is there, everything is lining up. You owe it to your shareholders to get the story out, to get the word out. It benefits everybody if you're marketing. Maybe you have to be careful, maybe you have to be uh, cash conscious and really keep in mind how to market and be creative to get the word out without blowing up your share structure, without you know, needlessly spending tons of money on, on marketing efforts that don't work, but you should be marketing and you should be marketing harder. And I think it gives you an opportunity to be seen above the noise. I think that when things are quieter and everybody else is sitting back, I'd much rather be out there driving this project forward, telling our story and getting people aware of what we're doing and how important this project is and not sitting back. And so that's really what we're doing. So I developed a pretty aggressive marketing plan and a marketing program and I'd like everybody to know about this project. 
point blank. I really think that this is something that everyone should be paying attention to. And so we're, we're embarking on things that are, I think in a lot of cases are, are very cost effective. Um, you know, we are a small company, so our budgets aren't going to be uh, astronomical, but there's a lot of ways we can get the word out and we're kicking off with a lot of those. And so I love to tell stories and really love to get this narrative and the story out in the most interesting channels we can. And so we're doing a, a number of different video projects and, and sort of documentary style projects that'll be uh, released in different channels that I think are going to really do a great job of, uh, of getting the story out and then driving forward with our own efforts and meeting with as many people as we can and getting out there on every channel and, and yourself included, Andrew. I mean, this is, this is the kind of stuff that we need in order to develop the, the kind of following the story like this should really have. It's getting the word out and getting the word out in the right channels so people will understand it. And I think most would agree that this is a pretty impressive story and, and really it's the right, right point in the development of it for the most, I guess, the biggest opportunity, if you will. Yeah, I could certainly appreciate that, Adrian, and certainly these efforts are going to be important, and they're always important for these types of companies because there's such a uh, saturation of, of juniors, of course, whether you're in Vancouver, you know, Toronto, New York, or even in Perth or London, yeah. for that matter. But you're looking forward to seeing some of the efforts that you have as they come yeah. out here over the next few months. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, let's leave it there. Sure. Why don't, just to wrap up here one more time. For potential investors who are listening in, the company has a market capitalization of about 27 million Canadian dollars. Why should the audience consider Midnight Sun as part of their copper exposure? Well, as I said a few minutes ago, you know, talking about this marketing aspect of it, I think the big takeaways here are that if you're if you're going to be looking for a copper project, there's no point in looking for something small. Um, copper projects in general have very high capex, right? Um, so if you look at even a small BC copper porphyry, cap costs on developing that project are going to be astronomical, 500 million plus dollars to, to bring something on stream. So if you're going to go looking, you may as well look for the biggest deposit, the biggest system that you possibly could. And there's only a few places in the world where you're likely to find those kind of deposits. So from that perspective, we are in the right place. The Domes region is one of the top ones. And certainly we're seeing that Barrick agrees with us, First Quantum agrees with us, Cobalt agrees with us, Rio Tinto agrees with us. This is the place to be. So if you're looking for a copper opportunity, pick the best jurisdiction you could be looking in. And this is going to be at the top of that, that list, or certainly near the top of the list. Look for grade, right? You need grade and you need scalability. We've got both of those in spades. And on top of that, do you have one opportunity or do you have multiple? We have multiple. So we have three or four areas that have big systems seem to be there. We've got an opportunity to go and explore these and see if they're real. You know, I like to use that term where there's smoke, there's fire. It's old total cliche, but the reality is when it comes to exploration, that's what you're looking for. And in our case, we have reason to believe at each of these different areas that there is tons of potential, lots of opportunity and some really, really significant upside. And so, you know, when you're looking at these, this isn't, this isn't something where we're out looking for hundred million tons. We're not looking for millions, we're looking for billions. These are billion ton deposits. So if you find a system here, and it turns out to be real, it's not gonna be hundred to 200 million tons. It's gonna be 500 million plus tons. So you're looking for something that is multi-generational that has decades and decades of upside. And you may as well, I mean, for me as an investor, that's what I'm looking for. I wanna find the biggest, most exciting thing I can. And this is the kind of area where you're gonna look for that. Um, you know, and, and we have other things too. I, we didn't even touch on it, Andrew, and I'll kind of leave the majority of it for, for the next time we chat. Um, but there's another thing here, which is oxides. 
We haven't even touched on it. Our entire property has oxide potential. At Consanchi, they have a, an issue going on right now where they're running out of oxide material. And oxide material is how they get rid of their uh, excess sulfuric acid that's created as a byproduct of their, uh, of their smelter. Our property happens to have a lot of sulfide or a lot of oxides, sorry, they're in the exact right grade range and all at surface. And so we've been talking to First Quantum about looking at doing a study, um, a scoping study, if you will, that could uh, could open up a chance for us to have that material run uh, at Consanchi Mine or, or another operator, you know, another operator that needs it. But something there that could be huge economic upside to us on top of any potential for a big system. So, you know, you really have five big opportunities here for something to happen. I mean, what what more could you be looking for in a project, right? Yeah, that's great. And good point, bringing up the oxide piece of it, we didn't even discuss, but I appreciate you touching on that as well. Um, yeah, very compelling, Adrian. And I think folks should probably take at least, uh, take some time, do some due diligence, take a look at this. And it's in a compelling price as well and sentiments beaten down. So the timing appears to be pretty well thought out here at this point. Best way for folks to reach out to the company, how do they best contact you? Easiest thing you can do is uh, you can do one of two things. You can give me a call, which I'm always happy to take a call anytime. Uh, my number is 604-809-6890. Uh, or you can just drop me an email. It's adrian at midnightsunmining.com. So it's A-D-R-I-A-N at midnightsunmining.com. And if all else fails, you can go to our website, which is just www.midnightsunmining.com. And all that contact info is right there for you to, to use and get in touch with me. Well, Adrian, really appreciate you taking the time here to introduce Midnight Sun to us. Best of luck on progress and looking forward to chatting again soon. Excellent. Really appreciate it, Andrew, and I look forward to the next chat as well.